these past few months, we've had a lot of guests on this show. We've had celebrity guests. We've had politicians. Uh, we've had some sports figures on the show. Uh, uh, but actually, my favorite part of the show is when we have you guys on the show. And it's amazing the perspective that you all give me from around the country and the opinions that you bring to the show. And I love hearing them. So for this week's show, I wanted to do something fun. And I wanted to bring back some of my favorite callers. I don't want to share someone else's thoughts. I want to create my own original thoughts. I want to create my own original solutions. I want to look at situations and come up with my own phrasing, my own words, and do it my way. This is the John Taffer Podcast. Shut it down! Well, hello from Buford, Georgia. Oh, here I am, uh, sitting in my bus as I was last week. I've now been away from home here for five weeks, and I've been completely safe, actually. Have not exposed myself, worn a, worn a mask when I'm supposed to, maintained social distancing when I'm supposed to. So it's been an amazing five weeks, and, and I'm excited about this show. I always love talking to you guys, and uh, we assembled some of my favorite calls this week that we've ever had, and I'm going to sort of play them and, and talk about them a little bit, but uh, there's a lot of unbelievable stuff that you guys have said to me these uh past couple of years. So we have a few of our better calls. So we're going to do that today. But I got to tell you, I have fallen in love with the state of Georgia uh, these past five weeks. And I can say it for my wife, Nicole, as well. We're here in the Lake Lanier area. And uh, it's just, I got to tell you, it's beautiful. The weather's unbelievable. The people are fantastic. Uh, it's just an unbelievable state. And uh, I have developed an amazing love affair to the point that We've even looked at some lake houses or something possibly there. So, so it's amazing when you go to a place and you stay as long as we've had to. And we've had some delays opening Taffer's Tavern that are COVID-related delays. And it's amazing when you open a restaurant like we are. It's a pretty sophisticated restaurant. So there's fabricated custom boots and custom chairs and custom bar stools. And the bar has to be built and all the stainless steel and the fabricated corners and all the ledges and all the electrical needs to be placed and the plumbing needs to be placed. And you're ordering what we call FF&E. And FF&E, in essence, is furniture, fixtures, and equipment. And there's, gosh, I couldn't even guess, maybe... Uh, uh, over 100 pieces when you get from the, uh, a knife uh, uh, to a chair and everything in the middle, TVs, technology, speakers, furniture, all that stuff. So during COVID, it's not so easy to get your hands on 80 chairs or 120 chairs. And we're finding that there are factories that, that are uh, shut down weeks behind, not even taking new orders in many cases. But many of these factories are running two, three, four weeks late. So our booths are made actually in the state of Missouri, custom made, and, and there's wood and there's metal and there's glass and there's all of these special elements to it. And due to COVID and shutdowns, uh, they're weeks late. So a uh, uh, you know, big thank you to, to, we've hired about 100 employees. We're, we're running a, a, a week or 10 days late of opening because of the delays in our FF&E. But man, we're there. So watch my social media because for the first time ever, we're going to start issuing photographs and press releases. And there's a lot of amazing information coming out. And I've got to tell you, I've done a lot of things in my life from seltzers to mixers to TV shows to opening nightclubs and restaurants. But I can't think of anything that I'm more proud of than what we've done in Taffer's Tavern, from the food to the kitchen designs to the front of the house design. And when, when customers walk through the front door, Man, I can't wait to see the look on your faces because they're all going to be really surprised. And 
You know, it's funny when I do bar rescue, that's always my favorite part of bar rescue. When I do bar rescue, and you don't get to see this, of course, on the TV show, when I say, ready, one, two, three, and they all turn around and they all get excited and maybe I give them a hug, it all depends on you know, how I feel and our relationship, et cetera. And then when I say to them, okay, you guys ready to see it? Yes, go ahead. Well, when I say go ahead uh, and they start heading to the front door, I run like hell to the production trailer so I can see the looks on their faces when they go through the front door. I love that. That's like my favorite moment. And, and I can't wait to see the look on everybody's faces when they uh, uh, walk through the front door at Taffer's Tavern in Alpharetta, Georgia, which is now only, I'm guessing, don't hold me to exact days, but it's about 10 days away maybe 12 days away, so it's pretty darn exciting. It's also fun to see people on the street trying to peek through the door and seeing what they can look at, and it reminds me years ago of those construction sites, and they had the hole in the wall, remember the wood along the street, and you'd look in a little hole in the wall, and, and you could see what they were building. Well, <laughs> we didn't put a hole in the wall on purpose, so it's been really top secret. So Some people have snuck through the front door, but uh, nobody's really seen it. So Watch my social media next week. You're going to see a lot of information on Taffer's Tavern. Also, we're on a roll in Georgia because Taffer's Seltzer uh, uh, debuts in Georgia. I believe the product all arrived this week to RNDC, our distributor. Thank you to, to uh, um, RNDC for distributing our products. So it's going to be in Georgia, and over the next few weeks, you'll start to see it in liquor stores and, and uh, convenience stores, and you'll start to see it all over the state. So we're really excited about that. So it's funny how things work out, Corey. It's sort of been like Georgia week, uh, Georgia month, I should say, uh, around the world of Taffer. But, you know, it's interesting. Watching um, now they're saying masks don't matter. Masks do matter. And it's so frustrating that here we are now, uh, for me, my life changed on March 13th. So we got April, May, June, July, August, September, October. We're soon into November. Uh, uh, it's been months, and we still can't get a straight answer of does a mask work or does it not? Well, here's my thought. If I'm going to talk to you and I'm infected and I wear a mask, it's going to at least slow down the velocity <laughs> of my particles. And I'm guessing if we slow down the velocity, we slow down how far it travels. So me, I figured the hell with it. I'd rather just wear the darn thing than take the chance. So I have, and uh, I've gotten sort of used to it. <laughs> so also when you wear a mask all day long, you learn about the, the, the value of a breath mint when you're breathing your own breath all day long and you wear that freaking mask all day long, but it's worth it. And I do encourage us all to do that. And uh, what do you think of politics today? And, uh, you know, today was a big day. A lot of news came out about one of the two candidates, and, and I'm not going to get political here, and, and Europe and, and China, and, 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 and uh, boy, if it's real, it's pretty ugly. But, you know, I find it interesting how politics now is strictly market research driven, and uh, the speeches are tailored to each demographic and each geographic region. And, you know, it's, it's a battle of the marketing experts. And it's fascinating to watch uh, uh, Joe Biden as a candidate, and I'm not making an opinion one way or another in this uh, broadcast, but looking at Joe Biden, he's been extremely disciplined. He goes inside when he should. He backs out when he's ahead in the polls. Why take a chance and do anything? He comes forward when he needs to. He says what he should. He doesn't say what he shouldn't. He stays on a teleprompter. He doesn't get off and get him. It's fascinating to watch the discipline on that side. 
And the VP candidate has been really staying away from the media for whatever reason. I guess they're determining that that's not an asset to do that, to, to bring her forward now. But all of it is all market research driven. And, you know, this poll and that poll. And so when you see them both going to Pennsylvania, that should tell you something, <laughs> right? Because they wouldn't take the risk if there wasn't a reason to take the risk. But it's all so calculated. And then you look at the other side and the president and how undisciplined actually he is and how tweets and, and things that he says and going off message is so impactful to his image and his race. And it's interesting to me when you look at the numbers, lowest unemployed, income up, blah, 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 blah. You know, one could argue that, that, that uh, President Trump could have a good story to tell. But, you know, today he was talking about a hoax that Ben Laden wasn't exactly dead. <laughs> so there's a real lesson in this for all of us. We win when we stay on message when we have a purpose. We lose when we start to free ball and lose our purpose, lose our messaging. I've learned that as a speaker. I've learned that here doing this podcast. I've learned it doing my television show that I got to stay on message. I've got to have a purpose in what I'm doing. When we lose message, identification gets muddy. Messaging obviously gets muddy. People don't know what to attach to. We got to have something to hang our hat to. And, and both campaigns have to give us that on either side. So if you're going to vote for Joe Biden, then Joe Biden's got to give you something to hang your hat on so that you, within your own brain, can say, I am voting for Joe Biden because of X. That's your hook. That's where you're going to hang your hat. And the other side has to do exactly the same thing. I'm going to vote for President Trump because of X. And that's where I'm going to hang my hat. And I find it interesting that in this election, and I was reading some polling information the other day, and again, I'm being non-political, is that in many cases, most people are voting not for the person they want to vote for, but for the person they want to vote against. And man, that sort of sucks, doesn't it? So when you think about the statistics and the numbers and the fact that people are really voting uh, uh, to make the opposition lose, not that they're so excited about what they win, is sort of a bummer. I was hoping we'd be in a better place. But the good news is, I think that we are close to an end of COVID. And, and, and Dr. Fauci, if you days ago, about a week ago, made a comment that we'll have 700 million doses of three different types of vaccines by April. Now, what he didn't say was, how many would we have before April? I mean, do we have none <laughs> in, in March? Or did they all hit April 1st? Or do we have 600 million in March? And do we have 500 million maybe in February? And how many do we have in January? And do we have any in December? What about that? So nobody has quite talked about that. And it all seems so secretive. But here's what I think. I'm going to stack my neck out. I believe we will have at least one of the options of vaccines available uh, before the end of the year, possibly by the end of November. And then that's 100 million doses coming pretty quickly. And then we'll start to see them flow pretty quickly after that. So I do believe we're coming out of this thing. And that's pretty exciting. So there's things to talk about now. And, and you know, we need to start thinking about how we reopen, how we start to organize ourselves. And I'll tell you this, when I get a vaccine, I'm going back to exactly the way I used to be. And I'm going to guess a lot of you are too. And my wife, Nicole, always tells me, John, everybody's going to come back just the way they are. And my chief of staff uh, uh, tells me the same thing. And my team and everybody around me says, eh, 
But I'm a little hesitant to say that because maybe I'm a little older and maybe I don't quite have the, the, the uh, risk-taking that maybe I had a few years ago. But who knows? The point is this. I believe it now myself. So if we are going to get a vaccine and we are going to go back to normal, then <laughs> start saving your money because you want to have some money to party when we go back out there. Let's hope that things get organized. Our government pulls things together. The next relief package is done. I'm a big believer in the PPP plan. I think it really helped businesses keep employees on the payroll and kept us moving forward. I'm a big believer in providing <clears throat> relief now for people who need it, who have lost their jobs. I'm a big believer in bridging us to the spring. And if we can bridge us to the spring, which means enhance the unemployment benefits to spring, get the PPP plan, not to the end of the year, but to spring, and just bridge us to spring, boy, I think we're all going to come back pretty quickly then. So these past few months, we've had a lot of guests on this show. We've had celebrity guests. We've had politicians. Uh, we've had some sports figures on the show. Uh, uh, but my, actually, my favorite part of the show is when we have you guys on the show. And it's amazing the perspective that you all give me from around the country and the opinions that you bring to the show, and I love hearing them. So for this week's show, I wanted to do something fun, and I wanted to bring back some of my favorite callers. And this might be the top caller that we've had in the past few months, maybe post-COVID, uh, is, is our maybe most popular caller with regard to comments online and, and just phone calls and reactions from listeners. And his name is Nick. And if you remember, Nick was a Homeland Security and an Emergency Management Master's degree student. And man, it was an incredible conversation. So let's listen to what Nick had to say. Hello? Nick, John Taffer here. Hey, John, how are you? Good, nice to talk to you, buddy. Can I call you Nick? Me? Yes, yes, absolutely. Can I call you John? You, you can, absolutely, buddy. So, so uh, you know, your call was really fascinating to me. I must tell you, I don't think I have... Now, I've spoken to uh, many FBI agents, governments, people, congressmen, senators. I've spoken to a lot of people that I have never spoken to, I don't think. Someone who has a Homeland Security and Emergency Management master's degree. So, hats off. You picked a very timely profession, didn't you, Nick? Uh, apparently, I didn't really think I'd be using it in the private sector, but uh, it's actually very applicable to what's going on right now. And uh, it's really been great, and it's been able to help a lot of people. It is. So uh, you actually have a company in the private sector. So you're not working for government right now. You have your own company. Is that what you're doing? Yes. So I was actually completing my master's degree. And um, in January, all of the courses switched over to being pandemic-related. And... So my thesis was on COVID-19 threat mitigation, uh, and I'm working on it with a team of nine other people, but my area specifically was threat mitigation in the private and public sector. And um, basically one of my friends who owned a beach club where I live, I live in Long Beach, New York, and uh, he asked me, he said, can you help me figure out a way to operate? And I said, sure, I'd love to. And uh, it kind of, it, it really it exploded from there. Um, and I have more people calling me than than i can keep up with even right now but it, it's so great working with these people and you know just telling them that there is a way to find a solution right now because all of them are just heartbroken and they're not sure how to adapt and i'm like there, there is a way and i can help you wow that's that's really powerful and you know what's interesting as a business owner Nick, I find it fascinating how we were told how surfaces surface contamination could be a terrible thing 
And then, you know, the, the uh, WHO, I'm sure you probably saw this a few days ago, said, no, 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 surface contamination. That, that, the, and now they're backtracking saying, no, 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 we didn't mean it that way. I mean, so, so the amount of information that we're getting is so conflicting that as a business owner, we don't always know what to do. So you solved that for us. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. And exactly like you, what you said, you know, it's so frustrating to these business owners where they have so much on their plate just trying to get their operations back to normal. And they don't have time to sift through all this information. And so, you know, I had the foundation. I, I spent over a thousand hours um, looking into this from, from start to finish. And now as new guidelines come out, even though a lot of them are conflicting, as you mentioned, um, I'm basically just adding that to my baseline knowledge and I'm helping them navigate it. And it's, the most frustrating thing um, has been when the public health concern does not equate to the government mandate. You know, people are always like, can, can you get my building safe? And I'm like, absolutely. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to make procedural changes to your operations. We're going to do some workplace changes to your operations. Mm -hmm. I'm going to meet you at whatever budget um, you need to be at. Um, and I'm going to help you and I'm going to get you safe. But then when they ask me, when can I open? I always have to say, look, uh, you know, these are the government guidelines in New York State right now. I can get you safe. I can absolutely get you safe. But, uh, you know, I have to go by the government guidelines so that they're not opening too soon. And it's really it's unfortunate for them because I tell them, look, you're safe right now. You could have guests in here. You know, your risk is very, very low, um, but you still have to wait until New York State gives you the OK to go. Yeah. And there's been a real conflict, and, and I've been speaking about on this podcast, I find it incredibly frustrating that one state can have such a different mandate from another state. It's almost like it's a different illness, but it isn't. It's the same damn illness, right? And, and the, the, the cross-contaminant is the same. So I find it incredible how one state's numbers are, are, are can be lower than another state that enacts more policies. And I get density is a part of it, certainly, and yeah. even ambient temperature can be a part of it. I get that. But, yeah. Nick, I got a, a question that's I'm burning to ask you. When, sure. when you were in school, and, and you were preparing for all this. Obviously, you went through terrorism and, and, and international threats and domestic threats and cells and understanding emergency management with regard to hurricanes and natural disasters. And you went through all of this training. And how many years were you, were you in school? Well, John, so this, was, this is, was supposed to be a two-year program. And um, I actually devoted myself to this. I'm actually not even done. I'm finishing in August. Um, so, so two years. And, so, so let me let me let me let me go somewhere with you, Nick. So two years yeah, yeah, of go, this go. program, and then you told me that in January everything shifted, and they started focusing uh, on pandemic and COVID and what we can do about that. Here's my question for you: Did they talk about pandemic, or did they train you in this? Was there any discussion in this before it actually happened? So it, it's this is really interesting. So the way Homeland Security looks at everything and what I've kind of brought to these private sector businesses and organizations is that Homeland Security looks at everything from an all hazards perspective of it's not supposed to be reactionary. You are supposed to plan for any possible hazard. Yep. So in Homeland Security's strategic plan, dating all the way back to 2007, when the first comprehensive plan came out, yep. it said to prepare the nation for natural disasters, terrorism and pandemic threats. So, so, and, uh, so it's been in there, but, 
were you actually trained in pandemic threats? And was it, what I'm trying to get at, Nick, is was it part of the course curriculum to the level it should have been prior to this pandemic? Or did they shift curriculum? Because maybe it wasn't covered enough in, in the pre-pandemic curriculum. No, not, not nearly covered enough. And, uh, you know, I've read through a lot of the state plans as well and how they're preparing for it. And this was not touched on. This was not a concern prior to this. You know, they, they would put in that, you know, beautiful mission statement, they would say, and pandemics. And that was basically the end of the conversation. There was no, you know, there were small programs that basically never got any traction to biosecure the country, to implement bio threat detection sensors and all these ideas. And they never really went beyond an idea. They were, they were kind of failed low-end technologies. And Homeland Security was not prioritizing this. This was not on the nation's radar. Um, you know, they were underfunding anything like this because they didn't see it as, you know, a feasible threat. And the federal government wasn't looking at it that way. And neither was any other level of government. And the private sector, I think, definitely wasn't prepared for this. Yeah, but yet this could have been, a, 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 not that I'm saying COVID was, because I don't believe it is. And I'm not a conspira conspiracy nuts at all. But the fact of the matter yeah. is, you know, there could be a manufactured biological threat that we have to deal with, too. So in today's world, you know, pandemic is a real possibility, whether it be man-made or whether it be uh, natural. So, so you'd Absolutely. think it would be much higher uh, 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 on their priorities list. It actually, you know, shocks me a little bit. And I'm one who took political science in college Nick, so i did you know, too actually oh, so, so <laughs> you know what i mean is they should have contingency programs for every possible eventuality and that's their job exactly. is to have contingency programs in place and every president and every government agency should have that and the reason why those contingency plans exist is if a problem happens they don't have to stop and figure it out then they have already figured it out so they can act rather than ponder <laughs> when the disaster yeah. hits and if we don't have contingency plans and actionable plans then we pause and we freak out and that's sort of what we saw in the beginning of this don't you think absolutely and you know even looking at at it state by state and how some states were better prepared than others one of the things i noticed was that none of the states really were ever prioritizing pandemics but a few of them were prioritizing disaster response and mass casualty situations so Florida actually has the most robust emergency management program in the United States because they're always, you know, they get hit by a hurricane yep. or a tropical storm. And they basically just immediately reconfigured this to another mass casualty event. You know, they weren't prepared specifically for a pandemic, but they had the infrastructure already in place and they were a little quicker to adapt it. And it's you know, honestly, it's very scary to me that New York wasn't able to Right. turn around and adapt to a mass casualty situation. New York should be better prepared than anybody. You'd think, and, and when you looked at the statistics in Florida compared to New York, wow. I mean, it really showed uh, uh, how, how much better Florida did do uh, uh, in reacting to it, at least. And New York was, was a, I mean, look, we don't want to get into the details, but, you know, there are a lot of mistakes, yeah. particularly made in New York. I'm, I'm talking to you from Las Vegas now, Nick, and, and here yeah. in Las Vegas, of course, we had our shutdown in the state for, I guess it was, what, six or seven weeks, Corey? Our shutdown, something like that. And, and so I'm sitting home now in about my 88th day or something like that, Nick. But, you know, Vegas opened on Thursday. And, and yeah. I think you'll find this interesting. You know, I, I'm close with many of the uh, executives that run these casino companies. In the average casino, they have implemented 800 policy changes all around COVID. Wow. 
from you know from taking your temperature on the way through the front door to the way check-in is handled to elevators to upstairs to back of the house procedures front of the house procedures and they've gone all of these steps you know to try to assure safety but but you know what what i find interesting nick and i'd be curious to hear your comments on this and i've been saying this on on some of the news channels this week let's say a restaurant puts everything in place perfectly Nick, they hire your company. Mm-hmm. Let's say you come in, you do a complete assessment. They're doing everything right from sanitizing to environmental to employee behavior, employee sanitation practices. They're freaking nailing it, buddy. But standing in front of that restaurant is a crowd of about six or seven or maybe eight people waiting to get in, and none of them are wearing masks and are all standing right next to each other talking. Are you going to go in that restaurant? You're you're absolutely right. You know, I'm not going to go in that restaurant because this isn't this this can't all be policy changes. This can't all be procedures and new tactics. This this is really this is an effort on behalf of every individual. If every individual is not doing the right thing, and even if it's just in front of your business and they're not even in your business, it's going to turn people away. That's what I think. So what I worry about is the businesses can do it all right, Nick. Right? They do, and then the customer behavior makes them do it yeah. wrong. So I was talking to one of the news channels the other day and I was realizing, I was actually talking to Bar Business Magazine and in the view I was yeah. talking about the fact that bar and restaurant owners need to make a decision. Now, the population's going to come back and I've said this a number of times on this podcast so I don't want to get into it again, but the population's going to come back in yeah. thirds. One third comes back quickly, another third waits a couple mm-hmm. weeks to see what happens and then a third third doesn't come out at all until they know that they're safe. Yeah. Now that third third tends to have more disposable income, they tend to be a little wealthier, they tend to be a little older. So the initial wave out is going to be a little more value oriented if you will, more of the younger yeah. fearless kind of crowd right? Maybe in your age group, Nick. So, so my point yeah. is this. My point is this. Let's say I operate a bar and I choose to say masks are optional. And now I got those eight people standing in front of my bar without masks on. I could be screwed as a business owner. Let's say I say, nope, masks are required. Everybody, when you come in the front door, sorry, you got to wear a mask here unless you're actually eating or drinking. And now there's some young people who are going to say to me, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, I'm not going there. They make you wear a mask. If I do nothing, I'm screwed both ways. People who are okay with no masks are not going to like everybody in masks and vice versa. And I was equating this, and I'm curious to hear your comment on this, Nick, when I'm finished. I was equating it to a music choice. Now, let's say you and I were opening a bar together, Nick, and we choose to put in a country music program in Long Beach, California. I'm Long Beach, Long Island. Now, that means all of the rock people are not coming, right? We have completely segmented the market by choosing country music. You with me? Now, yeah. if, if you and I did the same thing and put rock music in or hip-hop music in, we're now chasing away the country fans. So in the bar and restaurant business, when we pick product and we pick price and we pick music and we pick logo and we pick positioning, we are segmenting the market. That's what we do. So when we build a restaurant, we choose. This is who we're building it for. So here's my question to you. Does a bar or restaurant today have to make a die-hard policy that you're going to wear a mask in here or you're not going to wear a mask in here? And does that policy relate to demographics or age of their audience? A younger audience, probably I can let the mask thing go. An older audience, I probably got to put it in place. Do you think they have to make that choice now or can they let the customers do it? You know, in general, I am all for letting people make their own decisions. 
and that if you don't feel safe in the establishment, then you know, you're, you're not going to go to it. Um, but that exact issue is something that a lot of business owners have been asking me. They've been asking me, do I require people to have their temperature taken on the way in? Do I require people to wear a mask on the way in? And I've been telling them that, that you're going to lose a portion of your market that may come later on if you're not doing this now. Right. Um, you know, just to meet the guidelines, a lot of them have to make that, that diehard decision of this is the way it's going to be. Um, I think, it, honestly, I think it depends on the area. I think it depends on the demographic and who's going to the facility. You know, the beach clubs I work with are an entire different environment than the bars I go to. The bars I go to, they're like, look, these are local people. They're not going to want to come in wearing a mask. Um, the beach clubs are all out of town people. And they're like, if everyone's not wearing a mask, then we're going to lose a lot of membership. Yeah. Um, you know, as long I, there needs to be a safe option. There needs to be a middle ground. But I think it's honestly, I think it's very dependent on the demographic that you're getting to your business. I think for some businesses, you're going to need to have a hard line and you're going to need security there, honestly, enforcing it and saying, listen, please put on your mask. Um, you know, it's a, it's a policy of our facility. And then there's going to be the other places where that, you know, that is a local dive bar, you know, everybody going in and you're, if you tell them all they can't, they have to wear a mask in there. They're not going to come back. It's it's a really bad situation these business owners are in because there's not really a, a winning scenario. No, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You know, it's interesting what you just said because that was the next place I was going to go. And by the way, you're a great guest, Nick. So, so, so you know, <laughs> no, it's thank interesting. Thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. Oh, no, my pleasure. So, you know, it's interesting if you, if you say, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that younger demographic. You know, it's a young bar. It's a beach bar. Let them go crazy. If you have regular customers then they're going to object to you making them wear a mask. I get that. But if you need new customers to come in all the time because you're a tourism bar, et cetera, then images on social media and out in public are everything. So I would propose to that tourist-oriented venue, what image do you want to project, the image of of danger or the image of safety? And that's a tough question, boy. I think I would err on safety. Because if, yeah. if I have images of people acting unsafe and somebody gets, the, uh, you know, contracts it in my venue, I could be finished. But I'm, I'm, if I had a choice, I, I, if you back me in a corner, buddy, I think I'd have, to go, I'd have to err with safety. But I wouldn't be happy about it. Absolutely. And that's kind of the way I've been phrasing it to not just the bars and restaurants, but to every organization I'm with. That this is an opportunity for you to draw in a new market by, you know, hitting a new set standard and saying, look, our facility is secure. We made everything. We did everything right. We have some procedures that you may not necessarily like, but we are safe. And I even, I'm, I just worked, uh, I started working with a school the other day even, and this school has a very low enrollment. And I told them, look, I said, you may see an initial decline. Um, but when, you know, the public schools aren't doing the right thing and other private schools aren't doing the right thing. And you have this, you know, beautiful standard set and that people see the image of you doing the right thing. Um, or same with a camp, with a bar, with a restaurant, whatever it is. When people see that standard, I think they're going to draw in new markets. So and nice. I've already been seeing that. I've already been seeing that with some of the clubs that I've worked with. They had these are clubs that have never been sold out before with uh, with memberships. And within the first two weeks, all of them have waiting lists now. Clubs that never had a waiting list before now have a waiting list. And it's really, really interesting to see that dynamic start to play out. 
Well, I think today that safety is a top on the list. You know, I'll go where they have my uh, second favorite pizza if it's a safer kind of environment. So, you know, I think that when we take a look at these brands today, it's hard to close your eyes and picture a restaurant brand that's known for cleanliness. But six months yeah. from now, a year from now, Nick, there's going to be all of them are going to be clamoring to be known for cleanliness. So, you know, I think that as an industry, uh, I'm with you, buddy. We got to put all the policies and procedures in place. We have to build brand equity around safety today. I don't think this goes away so quickly. Do you, Nick? No, I, I, I don't see it going anywhere. And I think some of these are going to, you know, you've said it on, on here a few times that these are going to be policies that are carried forward even after this thing, even after there's a vaccine. Yeah. People are going to want to be known as the cleanest bar, the cleanest restaurant, the cleanest school, whatever it is. Yep. Yep. So, Nick, do you mind some listeners asking you some questions online? No, I would love it. So why, why don't you give me an address where people can find you? And, and you know, maybe you can pick up some business or, or I'm sure if somebody asks you a question or two, you'd be happy to answer it for them. Uh, absolutely. I would love that. Great. So wh where is an address where people can find you? Uh, email address? Yeah, whatever you like. And if you don't uh, want to give it, that's okay. Is... Don't give it. I'm just trying to give you an opportunity, buddy. Whatever you like. Or social no, media no. would work Thank too. You so... Or social Thank media you so handle. Yeah, so... A social media handle would be so... fine. So on Facebook, I'm Parada Consulting LLC. So Parada is P-E-R-R-O-T-T-A Consulting LLC. Um, my email is Parada. So P-E-R-R-O-T-T-A E twenty twenty at gmail.com. Excellent, Nick. Well, this was a great talk, buddy. I wish you a lot of success in, in your business. I hope uh, doing this for you now gets you a little jolt of business. I think you're doing important work, buddy, and I think your attitude is freaking <laughs> terrific. That's awesome. John, seriously, I can't thank you enough for having me on. You've, uh, I've followed you forever, so thank you so much for having me on here. And I really – I love helping these businesses. I love seeing, you know, the face of people. When I put a plan in front of them and I can say, you can do this. You can move on. You can – yeah. Be prepared for the future. So thank you so much for the opportunity. I think we can, buddy. I'm with you. Take care, Nick. Thank you, John. You know, it's interesting, Corey. I was talking last week, maybe even the week before, and maybe even the week before, yeah. about how great marketers and promoters and operators are going to bubble to the top in this. And it's almost like when a forest burns down and those little sprigs pop up. Well, there was one. Nick is one of those people. Think about this. He you know, is, he, yeah. he's, he's earned a master's degree in something that's very important. He, even before he's finished with school, he puts a 1,000 hours into a thesis, becomes an unbelievable expert on a topic at a young age. And what happens, Corey? He bubbles to the top. You know, hearing Nick and having that conversation with him really renewed my confidence in, in the whole direction of homeland security and emergency management then. You know, if he's the kind of guy who's going to be making sure we're safe going forward, it makes me feel a hell of a lot better. You know, the next conversation I had that was really interesting to me was with a guy by the name of John. And John is an alcoholic beverage control board investigator. And John had some really interesting perspectives on the shutdown and the beverage industry and how important pivoting to a new normal is going to be to success. John, too, had some motivating and inspiring things, and I really enjoyed talking to him. Give a listen. How are you, John? Hey, John. Doing well. Good. Where are you, buddy? What city are you in? I am in Washington, D.C. So you live in Washington proper. Okay. You know, I, it's funny. Years ago, I used to own a bunch of bartending schools called Bartenders Academy in Washington. We had a school on K Street and one in Alexandria. And I lived in D.C. for years. This is years ago. Man, what a great city to live in. Of course, not at the moment. But, yeah. But what a great yeah. city to live in. So. Hats off to you, John. So you're an ABC board investigator? 
Yes, I am. So tell us what that is. So I work for the local liquor authority, and we investigate uh, violations and also monitor for compliance to DC code and uh, the board's uh, orders and regulations. So, so, so uh, just so everybody knows, so, so you know, different states have different terms for what what it, uh, ABC is. Of course, alcoholic uh, beverage control, but. Uh, um, <laughs> What you do is a very important function, and you make certain that, that bars and, and facilities that have licenses to sell alcohol uh, uh, meet the compliance and regulatory requirements of not serving the minors, not over-serving, uh, uh, not uh, refilling bottles. I'm just giving the big ones, obviously, John. Uh, uh, and other compliance yep, issues. Yep, all correct. Uh, uh, get from wholesalers, yep. don't buy product from retailers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's a very important function. Not only do you keep us safe, but you keep the playing field even and honest, which is important. Yes, so the bad guys don't have advantages over the good guys, right? Which which would be very, so correct. You, that's a very important function, and some people don't look at what you do as, as as that. But you're the great equalizer. You know, you make sure everybody is plays by the same rules in the same situation. So you've been going through hell with COVID from a professional standpoint, I would think. Yes. Absolutely. From from day one, when we did uh, the shutdown, enforcing the shutdown um, to up until now, where there's partial occupancy, no live entertainment and really ensuring that that even playing field, because the, the margins are I mean, you know, they're so tight yeah. and everyone is just chasing the same dollar. Yeah. You know, John, uh, 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 just personally, a question to ask is. Is, you know, going through this, you know, I've seen my peers, my bar operators, and you know some of these people. I'm sure you can close your eyes and picture their faces. They're doing everything right. They're fighting for their lives. And, and it, it's, it's, I've got to believe it's so hard for you to watch, particularly the good operators that you know who are really have integrity and are trying. Does, does your heart get broken out there these days? I mean, it does. Um, I mean, I, I've certainly come across owners um, who, who openly wept in front of me because they, they, they're unable to really understand the new operating environment and to pivot. The, 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 there, there's life pre-COVID and life during COVID. Yeah. And if you were X before, you really need to retool. And, and the ones that are successful are pivoting, retooling. They know their numbers. Yep. They know how much revenue they need to generate. And the ones that can't are just awash in stressors yeah. and uh, are, you know, often make bad decisions. Yeah. So we were talking today uh, on my podcast about how a COVID has affected uh, professional and personal relationships. So you don't get to meet your coworkers. You guys don't have meetings anymore. So obviously your professional life is very different than it used to be. I got to believe, right? Right. It's all uh, Zoom meetings. Yep. There's a lot of interagency, uh, you know, health department, the building guys, the fire marshals. Um, so working with agencies you might not have worked with before, um, increasing complaints from private citizens, competitors, perhaps giving bad information. So I'm just trying to picture your life, John. So here you are in Washington. You certainly sound like a good guy to me. You sound like you know somebody who, who, who cares about the work and everything that you do. So now you see this industry that you love, that you're a part of, falling apart. 
you're getting slammed with new loads of work, new things to learn, new standards, new procedures, new policies every day. So I'm guessing work has you sort of stressed. I'm guessing, right? Yep. So yep. how is this affecting your personal life? Well, it's put a, it's, uh, honestly, it's put a great strain. Um, I'm, I'm going through a breakup, and I think part of that was the, the stressors um, of, of work, of life. Um, uh, the person I was with you know, went through a layoff, and what I think was important for us was to realize it's better for us to break up as friends than try to make something work and become enemies. So though it didn't work out as a relationship, I gained a friend, an ally um, that I could still network, you know, lean on. It just didn't work out, yeah. you know, so you romantically. Still, you still care for each other, but, the, you know, it's an interesting point that you make. You know, you still care for each other. That's the logical side of your brain, right? You still care for each other. You want each mm-hmm. other to be successful. You want to be supportive of each other. All that stuff is in place. But, you know, when you get to the intimacy side of the fence, which is the emotional side of the fence, these external factors mean a lot. You know, certainly, you know, these pressures affect desires for intimacy. You know, it, it causes people sometimes to pull inside with you, you know, if you will, so we don't express ourselves as well. You know, there's an inherent sadness that can live in some of us when it comes to the emotional side of who we are right now. So did the two of you talk about that, the fact that, you know, COVID is having this huge impact on you that might otherwise uh, not be causing these things to happen? Did you have that discussion? We did. That it just kind of, I think, expedited things. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it was the communication that led us to realize that, you know, this isn't working, yeah. but maybe we, it can work a different way. Yeah. And we both can part and, and, and find something else. So you're the kind of guy who you're going to find the good in a, in, in a, in a situation. Because that's inherently what you're doing. I'm going to try. And, it seems I'm going to try. Yeah, it seems to me at work you're doing the same thing. You're taking an approach of, okay, I've got to make a difference. You know, this is a chance for me to help these people get through this, et cetera. So, you know, there's, there's a story and there's a moral to this, John. And, and, you know, hats off to you, buddy. You know, when you can look at a situation like this and so many people can say, this glass isn't half empty. This glass is freaking empty right now. <laughs> Not even half full. So, so, but, you know, you're finding that that glass can be filled. And you're looking at things in an extremely positive way. And, you know, your attitude, I think, is a great example for all of us, buddy. So good luck in these struggles and stay safe, okay? Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care, John. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. I'm going to take a whole left turn on you. So we've spoken to our emergency management. We've spoken to alcoholic beverage control. I wanted to talk to a teacher for a long time. Think about this. Schools are reopening. We're terrified. Teachers, a lot of them are older in a higher risk category, and they're going to have to go to school and sit in a room with 30, 40, 50, 60, God knows how many kids and interact with them in cafeterias and study halls and bus platforms and all the area areas where contact happens with children. And it's pretty hard to do it all from six feet away. 
So a school teacher has some big decisions to make. Am I going to risk my own family to go back to school, or am I going to stand out until COVID is done? Well, Hannah gave me a call, and Hannah is a preschool teacher, and she is really uh, incredibly concerned about everything going on, but she gave me such confidence in the processes and procedures that they're all taking to keep us safe. So Hannah really gave me the confidence because my grandson goes to daycare. After talking to Hannah, I felt much better. Hello? Hannah, John Taffer here. Holy shit, this is great. How are you? Hello? Hi, John Taffer here. How are you, Hannah? I'm good, how are you? You're doing good. You got a couple of minutes? Yeah, I do. Where are you in Ohio? Uh, Toledo, so oh. like right on the border of Ohio, Michigan. Sure, I know Toledo well. Uh, I used to actually do uh, spend a lot of time in Ohio years ago, and and uh, it's a great state. So you're a preschool teacher, and I find it interesting because yeah, we've been talking today in the podcast about distance learning and all my fears about distance learning and lack of socialization and connection. And you know, I'm a little concerned that that we as a country are so quick to throw away uh, in classroom learning and allow digital and distance learning to sort of take over. And I've been asking my listeners, and I'd love to ask you this question and talk about it for a moment, Hannah. If you had a choice of saying, okay, let's let social distancing and distant learning take over, and let's allow the digital world to develop our education in the future, or would you say, no, I'm fighting for the classroom. I don't believe that that should happen. I don't believe that's progress. We need to keep kids in the classroom. Which two sides of that do you fall down on being a preschool teacher? Definitely no. Um, we a lot of my students, they're you know they're three and they're four, some five year olds. They don't know how to process emotions, let alone how could we expect them to work a computer or learn through a computer. And when we have our morning circle time, they can't. You know, I have their their week. I call them their listening circles, where they have to sit on, and I say it charges up the rest of the day so that they can pay attention. I, I would never even fathom being able to teach preschool through a computer, and it's especially for those who are on like IEPs or they have, you know, a learning disability or something like that. I don't think it's feasible. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I have a one-year-old grandson, and, and he's in preschool, and he just went from the infant room to the one-year room, right? Big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Traumatic change for this little guy. Yeah. And, and uh, some kid bit his arm, not too bad, but bit his arm the other day. So now a kid takes a toy away from him a couple of days later, and now he bites the kid's arm because he learned it from the other kid. So now yeah. there's this issue where a child has to learn parameters, and they have to learn what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. And uh, uh, it's society who teaches us those things. You know, it's funny, Hannah. I look mm -hmm. at my dog, and I have a new rescue dog who's been with us for about six months, and when he came into the house, he couldn't figure out anything. And he kept breaking all the rules. But my other dog straightened them out pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I think that, that society has a way of developing us and protecting yeah. us, nurturing and growing us. And I think we take that away when the kids aren't together. So I agree with you completely. So how is your situation at preschool now? Are all the students coming? Are you guys open? Um, yes, we are open. Um, we definitely, preschoolers do not have to wear masks per Ohio's current ordinance. The kids um, don't. No. Right. So 
like the actors they have an after school program for like school age kids they have to wear masks but the younger ones do not Does we have work? to wear masks at all times yeah and then you have uh, yeah. great you have serious sanitation rules you're cleaning everything and wiping everything okay. all the time okay we're cleaning everything we have it's called a zona machine that we put we write down all of the toys that were used that day and they get run through the Zono and it's like a giant sanitation machine. Wow. Um, we have spray that we spray on all surfaces. They don't share crayons. They have their own pack of crayons. Wow. They cannot bring anything in from home. So they used to be able to bring like backpacks and yep. they used to be able to like bring in their own toys and their own blankets and stuff for nap time, but they cannot bring anything in from home anymore. We provide everything. So who helped your school put these programs in place? Because you have a private preschool, I'm guessing, right? That you, that yeah, you work for? Yeah, it's a for? private preschool. And they only own that one school? Yes. So they're, not a, so they're not a big chain operation or nothing like that. Who helped no. them put all these programs in place? Do you know? Um, the local health department. So they did. So the local health department mm-hmm. was a resource for your school to provide these systems and procedures and such. That's good to hear. So have you found the state was really supportive during this process? Um, kind of. With how much they're kind of changing everything, it can be hard to keep up, especially since obviously whenever the governor does a press conference um, where he discusses schools and daycares yeah. and things like that, we don't find out anything beforehand, obviously. And, you know, we'll have parents come in at pickup time and they'll be asking us a hundred questions over what just happened, and we haven't even read the press report, or we haven't even received anything yet. It's going from so you know, so got, yeah. So I'll, it's really you know we'll get bombarded. I'll tell you though, it's interesting. Is is one? Uh, um, I live in Nevada. I live in Las Vegas, so I'm not involved in Ohio politics per se, and I don't know very much about it. But I've seen your governor a few times on national news, and I don't even know if he's a Democrat or Republican to be honest with you. But I liked him a lot. You know, he he yeah. he did some videos from his living room in his home. He seemed warm. He seemed very caring. I liked him very much for as far as a uh, 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 he 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 emulated a feeling of trust in me. Is he yeah. is he popular in Ohio? Uh, yeah, he is. Uh, he this is his first term as governor, and I really think that obviously no one wishes COVID happened, yeah. but I think he really showed most of Ohio that he's fully capable of handling major issues like this and taking care of things. Because yeah. Ohio really kind of led the way for a lot of shutdowns and procedures and ordinances and things like that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I gave a speech at GOPAC, a political convention last week, and I was talking about how this has changed so much because the science has changed so much and we knew so mm-hmm. little you know, yes to this, no to this, no to that, yes to this. I mean, it kept changing and changing. But it seems to me now that the science has leveled out and you know what procedures you're doing. So I want to ask you a, 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 a really important question for our listeners. If I had yeah. a three-year-old, or if you had a three-year-old, your three-year-old little boy, the joy of your life, would you send him to preschool today? Yeah. You would? So, because I see what we're doing firsthand and the... You know, I always put the safety and the health of my students before, and we're doing everything that we possibly can to keep our kids safe and to keep them healthy. And not only that, but to make sure that they're catching up on everything that they might have missed and learning a lot more. Yeah, that's great to hear from you. 
uh, Hannah, and, and it's great for our listeners to hear this. And this is my belief. Now, a larger school, a high school, we're talking a whole different animal here, right, with hundreds of kids mm-hmm. in it and stuff. But the fact yeah. of the matter is your environment is safe. Preschools are safe across America, and I know this from other preschool operators I've spoken with. So you put our mind at ease, and, and you and I agree completely. Let's keep the classroom going. Let's not move these kids to computers. Definitely. Thanks, Hannah. Nice to talk to you. Take care. Stay safe. Thank you. You as well. Bye-bye. Hannah, thank you. You know, that view is powerful. You know, you think teachers want to get out of the classroom and get into digital. They don't. They want to interact with their children. And here is obviously a teacher in Hannah who loves the kids, wants to interact with them, wants to watch them grow and learn. And we don't want that to disappear. All righty. (laughs) So we've covered school, alcoholic beverage control, emergency management, but I am Taffer. This show would be nothing if we didn't talk to a bartender. So Anthony called me to ask for advice because the owner of the bar he currently works for is putting cheap well liquor into his brand name bottles. So he called me to ask me what to do. And I wound up turning it around on him completely, actually, because the owner was doing it, but he was actually allowing it. And it speaks a lot to personal accountability. Anthony's a good guy, but I sort of called him out. Give a listen. Anthony. Yes. John Taffer here. What do you want to talk about? Okay. Um, I'm a bartender part-time. I'm actually a social worker. That's my main job. And on the weekend, I do bartend um, in the Port Jefferson area. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Um, I'd rather not say which bar. Well, that's okay. I don't want to get, my, get myself in trouble. Don't but do uh, there is an issue. And I think I've seen this on one of your episodes maybe once or twice where not the owner, but the manager, Mm -hmm. he was not aware. They're kind of playing around with the top shelf foods. Mm. Um, For example, I think I mentioned this, maybe a bottle of, uh, oh, help me out here, Grey Goose. Mm -hmm. If it's half full, they might pour, oh my God, the crap from the well in it and mix it, which is illegal, but um, the customers notice. But what they do is, and some other bartenders are in on this, they only give it to the customers that have had a few drinks. So once you have a little bit of a buzz, I guess it's you're less likely to know you're not getting what you're paying for. Yeah, the other so trick is, in, is they the other trick is they put it in mixed drinks, but not things like martinis where you can really taste the difference. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. you know, I, so if those, you come in off the street, you you order a cheeseburger and uh, you know a cranberry and vodka with Grey Goose, they're not going to give that to you because you're going to pick up on it, especially yeah. people that that drink it on a regular basis. So well, the fact is that th- that's outright illegal. And, and there was a bar rescue episode I did. I think it was in St. Louis. I forget where. I, and Tangeray gin is, I believe I'm looking at a bottle right now. Let's see. I believe it's 86 proof. Mm-hmm. And it is. And bar gin is 80 proof. So I traveled in bar rescue with a device called a hydrometer. And you put a hydrometer in a liquor bottle and it tells you exactly what the proof of the liquor is. So I picked up a Tangeray uh-huh. bottle in this bar dropped the hydrometer in the bottle, and it came up as 80 proof, not 86 proof. So I knew instantly it was not Tangeray gin. It was bar gin. So it's so easy now, to prove using a hydrometer, which is a simple device. You can check proof on it. Uh, and, of course, flavor. But here's the point. The point is this. A restaurant like that can't possibly succeed. They will eventually lose customers. Customers know the difference employees know that they're working in a legal operation. It's very difficult to have pride in that kind of a situation. So, you know, I think whoever does that is not only a criminal, because it's blatantly illegal at the moment that they do it, but they're also an idiot, candidly. 
And there's one little trick well, that I found know. that you can always find. Mm-hmm. Whenever bars do this, you'll find that the liquor bottle labels are worn out. Because the bottle's been pulled up and down, and it's been used so much because it's been refilled, refilled, and refilled. So when you go into this bar next time you're there, look for old liquor bottles that looks like they've sort of been overused for the amount of ounces that are in them, and you'll find those are the bottles that are being refilled. That's interesting. Uh, the owner is hands-off because of an illness. I feel bad for him. He's a good guy. He doesn't know, but... Why, would you call, he's been having. why wouldn't you call him and tell him? Oh, God. This is a... Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to be Bar Rescue here for a moment. You sound like a really good guy to me. This is a guy who owns this business. Did he put his life savings into it? Well, he's got a lot of money, but he he, he earned what he has. Let me put it that way. Okay. So his family is invested in this. His, 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 this is his business, and these are his employees. And if you know this and allow his business interest to be lost and go down the tubes and don't say something to him, then how dare you say to me he's a good guy? Because you're sticking it. Because you're sticking it. In a way, in a, in a way I know, so, I'm, so I'm culpable because I know. Well, you're sticking it then to a guy who you know is a good guy. You feel okay about that? Ugh. Do you? No. Because I no, wouldn't. Uh... So I think what you need to do is you're only culpable if you keep it to yourself. If you don't keep it to yourself, you're not culpable. You're, you're, you're loyal. And I think, you know, I've had this with employees in the past. I've looked at employees and said, okay, it's time for you to choose. You're going to be loyal to the employees that are causing trouble, or you're going to be loyal to me. Which of the two that you want to be loyal to? So I ask you this question, and I'm beating you up here. I know it, but you got it coming. What do you want to define you as a person? The guy who backs him up or the guy who doesn't? The owner deserves my loyalty. Okay, so now say goodbye, John. There's no, there's, no, there's no question about it. You know, it raises an interesting point listening to Anthony. If you worked for someone who was ripping customers off in some way, and you knew it, would you tell? What if you really needed your job? Would you tell? What if it exposed, you know, some financial disaster for you? Would you tell? It's interesting. And at what point in your life does integrity fall? Is it number one before money? Is it number two after money? Is it number three after money and something else? Is it number four, number five, number six? You know, I often wonder that that integrity ranking is sort of slipping these days a little bit, especially when you watch television and the pundits and the the politicians and half of what they say isn't true. That's not exactly integrity. So Anthony did not have the courage. He had the integrity to know it was wrong. He had the integrity and courage to call me, but he didn't have the courage to act. And that is where we're all at today as a nation. If you believe in something, act. Say it. Stand up for it. Don't hold back on it. And that's my new book, by the way, The Pursuit of Conflict, which we're working on right now and you should see pretty soon in the marketplace. But it's all about how do you engage in conflict and still be respectful with people. You know, Anthony, in a way, gave up his integrity because he didn't have the courage to step up and do something right. And that's not something any of us really want to do. Well, this was fun this week. Next week is going to be unbelievable for me. We really start 
opening Taffer's Tavern. We fire up all the kitchen equipment, and it's really exciting. So watch social media. We're going to be posting a lot of images and pictures and inviting a lot of people in for some free meals the next couple of weeks as we train our staff, too. So keep an eye on our social media feeds. Also, you're going to see we'll be launching the Taffer's Tavern website, which I am really proud of. It's, it's I think, one of the coolest restaurant websites you'll ever see anywhere. So we're really excited about that. And, again, watch social media. That's going to launch next week. Georgia. Taffer Seltzer's coming, so keep an eye out in your stores the next couple weeks, and you all know how much I love talking to you. So you want to talk to me? Give me a call at 916-842-5180, 916-842-5180. Either Corey will answer, leave a message. We do call you back, and we'll try to get you on a podcast. I'd love to talk to you. You can also reach me at podcast at johntaffer.com podcast at johntaffer.com Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to tell your friends, and don't forget... I'll be back next week. Take care. Subscribe to the John Tapper podcast right now for more episodes every Thursday.